Chapter 4 Tomorrow If you're listening to this episode the day it posts, tomorrow, March 17th, is the Illinois 2020 primary. And appropriately for Chicago, tomorrow is also St. Patrick's Day. If you pull a Democratic ballot in Cook County, after you get through the Bidens and the Bernies, way, 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 way down on the sheet, you'll find the judicial candidates. Men and women turning to the voters for a shot at a judgeship. One of those names on the ballot is you, like the initial you, O'Neill. I can't claim to know anything about you, O'Neill, other than what I read on InjusticeWatch.org, a nonprofit news service in Chicago. According to Injustice Watch, O'Neill is an attorney. He runs the O'Neill Law Firm. He was censured by the Illinois Attorney Registration and Disciplinary Commission in 1999 for asking a client's wife to forge a signature on a check from a hospital so he could get paid. None of the bar associations are recommending him because he didn't participate in the review process. He's currently being sued for malpractice. And Mr. O'Neill is a man of African descent whose birth name is Ubochi Osuji. I don't know when Mr. Osuji changed his name to O'Neill, but I do know when Philip Spiewak changed his name to Shannon O'Malley. That would be 2012. Spiewak, who is of Polish descent, ran as a Republican for a judicial seat in Will County a few years earlier and lost. So he changed his name in 2012 to Shannon O'Malley and ran as a Democrat in Cook County in 2018. And won. Judge O'Malley currently sits in the Child Protection Division in the Cook County Juvenile Center. The former Mr. Spiewak told NBC News that he changed his name to honor his mentor and surrogate father. But Judge O'Malley has faced a lot of criticism alleging he changed his name to Shannon O'Malley to capitalize on some time-worn Chicago political wisdom that Irish names appeal to voters. As former Illinois Appellate Court Judge R. Eugene Pincham told the New York Times in 1990, the Polish Americans vote for the Irish, the German Americans vote for the Irish, the Swedish Americans vote for the Irish, the African Americans vote for the Irish, and the Irish Americans vote for the Irish. It's no wonder they win. Pincham, who died in 2008, was black, so this wasn't Chicago Irish touting Chicago Irish. But it was either a recognition of a situation or some sour grapes. After stepping down from the bench to run for various non-judicial offices, the former appellate court judge lost three times to candidates with Irish names. Phelan, Divine, and Irishness alone cannot be blamed for the success of this one, Bailey. Pincham went back to trial work, where he was famous for his black fedora, cowboy boots, and the nickname The Pinch which I only heard once, but I consider one of the coolest modern political nicknames. Take that, Hinky Dink. Since the era of Hinky Dink and Bathhouse, the idea of an Irish politician has been seen as a truism in Chicago, and at least true enough to weaponize. Perpetual judicial candidate Bonnie McGrath, born Benita Tamman, she kept her ex-husband's last name, Ariana Huffington style, and traded Benita for her nickname Bonnie on the ballot, has been accused by Injustice Watch, so sue them, not me, of being a sham candidate kept on ballots only to lure away voters from other candidates with their Irish-sounding or otherwise voter-appealing names. You're a Spiewak up against an O'Neill? Throw McGrath into the mix and lure away some of the people voting based on Irishness. At least that's Injustice Watch's implications, based on the facts that McGrath keeps running yet in recent years has declared no contributions on her campaign, yet someone is still paying the petition circulators to go around collecting enough signatures to get her name on the ballot. But that's Injustice Watch's conclusion, sue them, not me. The stats actually bear out the Irish candidate theory. 
In 2010, a DePaul Law Review article looked at the results of more than 300 judicial primary elections in Cook County and found that Irish names, particularly female-sounding Irish names, did have an advantage at the polls. A small one. One easily canceled out by a negative Tribune endorsement, a negative Sun-Times endorsement, negative ratings from the various bar associations, or midterm elections. Judicial races during presidential years, like tomorrow's race, supercharge the advantages of candidates skating by in perceived Irishness, or otherwise good ballot name. Presidential races bring out droves of voters who know nothing about local judicial elections, but decide it's their civic duty to vote on them anyway. They're already in the booth for Bernie or Biden, might as well add you O'Neill to their picks. The Irish, either really Irish or spiewax in hiding, have been a major force in Chicago politics since the 1800s. There were some early advantages to being Irish. Unlike other European immigrant groups, the Irish came here both fluent in English and with an understanding of the British system of government that our American system is based on. They were ahead of the assimilation curve, and the immigrants' children did even better. Dan O'Hara became a major Democratic boss in the 1870s. In the 1880s, he was followed by bosses King Mike McDonald, the gambler king of Clark Street, and Chesterfield Joe Mackin. The late 1800s saw Irish-American Chicago politicians like Hinkitink, Bathhouse, Honest John Comiskey, Johnny Powers, and Foxy Ed Cullerton rise to power. Johnny Powers, Irish-American saloonkeeper alderman of the 19th Ward, actually exhibited the modern fake Irish trend in reverse. After the population of his ward started shifting from Irish to Italian, Powers, who was born in Ireland in 1852, started going by Johnny DePau. People also called him the mourner because he'd earned support by showing up at funerals, helping pay expenses, and divvying out turkeys at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Powers had a long-standing feud with reformer Jane Addams, and from 1916 to 1921, he was involved in a brutal gang war against mob boss Anthony D'Andrea called the Alderman's War. During the war, names of future victims were carved into a tree called the Dead Man's Tree by what's now the Illinois Medical District. I swear that if there is ever a season two of this podcast, Powers will get his own episode. Foxy Ed Cullerton started a major political dynasty, by the way, with two of his sons, his grandson, his great-grandson, and his great-grandson-in-law, all serving as aldermen, mostly in the 38th Ward. There was a Cullerton City Hall for 129 of the 144 years between Foxy Ed joining the Chicago Common Council in 1871 and his great-grandson Alderman Tim Cullerton retiring in 2015. Illinois Senate President John Cullerton, a cousin of the Aldermanic Cullertons, retired in January of this year. A more distant Cullerton cousin, Tom Cullerton, is still in the state Senate. He was indicted in 2019 for allegedly taking a fake job with the Teamsters, doing no work but collecting hundreds of thousands of dollars in salary and benefits. His trial is set for this summer. I'm not bringing him up for that, but for this little detail. His legislative website has a little four-leaf clover between Illinois State Senator and 23rd District. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, happy St. Patrick's Day slash Election Day to those who observe. (laughs) 